Moody commentary. They put the burr in November. They put the chow in chaos. I'm talking about the dynamic duo, the Cape Crusaders, the two Michaels. They are ready to tackle your vexing biblical conundrums. Call early, call often. 877-548-3675. From Genesis to Revelation and everywhere in between, we're going to talk about Israel today. We're going to talk about the unfolding events that continue there and a whole lot more. I have a million questions for them. I want to to give you the opportunity. So let's get started. First, we thank our friends behind the glass. Brian has been away this week in his stead today. Pappy, Trish is our producer. Gabby T is in the chair. Answering your calls, Laura today. And since it's Friday, that's right, friends, it's time for the fabulous Fabry Friday Sigh. I don't hear the music yet, Peppy. There it is. Here's what it does. One, we oxygenate your blood. Two, we get your endorphins going. Three, we raise your serotonin level. Four, we promote lymphatic drainage. And five, we stimulate your parasympathetic system. That's why we call it the five lung languages. We also stimulate your vagus nerve. We help you release acetylcholine. And don't forget what it does to cortisol dissipation. Take in four seconds of air through your nose. Hold it four seconds. And then as you release that air through your mouth, Push on the left side of your ribcage to get rid of all that bad carbon dioxide. Today, our first Friday sigh of November. Ah, November, the month of elections, the month of Thanksgiving, the gateway to the end of the year, sweater weather, falling leaves, and saying goodbye to another season of baseball, which was designed to break your heart. November, the only month that begins with a negative. November. I like to think of it as yes November because I have so many good memories during this month. So tip your hat to our current month and enjoy it while it lasts. The days seem to be passing more quickly than they used to. Maybe it's just me. The fabulous Fabry Friday Sigh is brought to you by the month of November and the Society for the Preservation of the Two Michaels, all rights reserved, void where prohibited. Now here they are. They put the Hank in Thanksgiving. They put the ump in pumpkin pie and the lamb in calamity. One is vice president and academic dean and professor of Jewish studies at Moody Bible Institute and the Bible teacher on Open Line. The other is adjunct professor of Bible at Moody Bible Institute and former pastor of biblical research at Harvest Bible Chapel, Elgin, Illinois, Dr. Michael Radelnik and Dr. Michael Van Lanningham. Gentlemen, welcome back. How are you? This, the Society the, for the Preservation of the Two Michaels. I didn't know that organization existed. Yep. I am so <laughs> glad to hear that. I'm a charter member. Uh, you're the only yeah. member. So- <laughs> oh, the Moody Handbook of Messianic Prophecy, 50 Most Important Bible Questions, Moody Bible Commentary. It's all there. If you go to chrisfabrylive.org, we got links for you. Uh, we had to start with Israel. I mean, it, it has just been two weeks of unbelievable, uh, maybe it's longer than two weeks. Yeah, it is longer mm-hmm. than two weeks, isn't it? Four weeks. Three weeks, month. yeah. Yeah, um, Michael, uh, give me an update on what you're hearing and and seeing and uh, emoting. Okay, well, first of all, we've got uh, two students on the front lines. Uh, one as a tank commander got called back, and he has been making regular forays into Gaza City with his tank. Uh, and I'm worried and praying for him, uh, as well as the other, who is very uh, quiet about what he is doing. Uh, we have another student whose brother is in on one of the search and rescue teams looking for hostages. Uh, and I have a, another student who is doing her internship. She just finished all her coursework. She just needed to do an internship. And she finished. I thought she was out of the country, but she decided to stay so that she could help 
in the ministry that she was working in because uh, they, the next set of people that were coming to volunteer were not able to come. So she's staying. So I've got very, very, uh, besides my family and my friends in Israel, I've got students that I'm concerned for. Uh, that's, I think, the first. Second is, I think, uh, one of the things that I understood that Israel requ- was required to go to war. There, there is no, the government has to, has the power of the sword. They have to punish the wicked and pr- protect the innocent. It is a governmental responsibility. I know that Hamas was uh, was embedded with civilians. They were going to keep civilians from getting to safety, which is what Israel was asking them to do. I knew that all it would take was when this war really got going and Israel was doing what they needed to do. You know, the government is a servant of God, says it twice in Romans 13, 4, uh, that first of all, Christians would see the damage and not blame Hamas for what they were doing to protect to, to expose civilians. That's part of their nihilistic death cult was to see as... They've admitted as such, actually one of their leaders, uh, Ismail Khania, went on TV and said, we need to create martyrs so we can get world opinion with us. And so they want to see civilians dead. People are not blaming Hamas for what they're doing. They're now turning on Israel. Oh, Israel needs to stop. Israel can't stop. They have to uh, continue to defeat Hamas. And so uh, I think what's grieving me now is I'm beginning to hear uh, believers say, oh, maybe we were mistaken. We shouldn't support Israel. Everyone should just lay down their arms. Well, Hamas is not going to lay down their arms. If uh, if Israel doesn't defeat them, then there will be another attack just like this last one. So uh, I guess my, my emotions right now is like, I don't know what people were thinking when they said that Israel has to go to war, but they didn't want any civilian casualties. Hmm. Civilian casualties are the are caused by Hamas, not Israel, and yeah. it's it's heartbreaking. So the other thing that I've seen over the last few weeks, Mike V, is this rise, especially on college campuses, of the anti-Semitism that has been kind of festering, and it's been you know behind the scenes, and you hear rumbles of it. But it's just full in your face now, at least from my perspective, what I'm seeing. Do you have you seen the same thing? Yes. I mean, it's it's all over the news and we shouldn't be surprised. You know, the world hates what God loves and God loves Christians, the church and God loves Israel. And so and it's interesting. I mean, the the world is turning against Christians and Obviously, the world is turning against Israel right now. And like Michael said, I'm just completely mystified by how um, how well-meaning evangelicals are now decrying Israel's response to Hamas. Um, they need to understand, we, we need to understand that the innocent Palestinians are uh, being taken advantage of by Hamas, like Michael has said, and those casualties are not Israel's fault. Uh, it really is the fault of Hamas. They are using those innocent people as, as human shields. And I, I just wish we all understood that better. And mm-hmm. um, as sad as it is for the innocent Palestinians to die, um, it, it's, it is Hamas's fault. It really is. Mm-hmm. 
Yep. The um, explosions I saw earlier this morning, the explosions of the tunnels, uh, strategically placed uh, explosives there, that's been one of the ways that Hamas has used to run and hide and stay safe. And if those tunnels are obliterated, then they're not going to have that opportunity. Right, Michael? Yeah, but you know what happens is they run those tunnels under hospitals, under orphanages, under schools. And just as we saw a few days ago, there was uh, Israel took out a tunnel and it caused some houses in a Palestinian refugee camp to collapse. And it was like Israel was not at all targeting civilians. It was going after the tunnel, a totally legitimate uh, target for the war. But because they have embedded themselves in, in those areas, then they forbade Palestinians to the civilians to leave. They set up roadblocks. They shot people on site who were leaving. So though Israel was begging and w- delayed the entrance into Gaza for three or four weeks uh, to give the Palestinians time to leave, the civilians to leave, Hamas would not allow it. So only 800,000 of the about approximately 1.2 million got to the south of the Gaza Strip, uh, one, fully one-third was kept back by Hamas. Well, um, I wanted to open with that today because to have you two here to be able to answer that question. Now we, we're going to move to the Bible, and mm-hmm. I have the top four questions on our Facebook page. These came in as soon as I posted this this morning. So let me just re- read you these four questions, and when we come back, you can either one of you can take them in any order— Goldie wants to know, is organ donation something a servant of God should do? Maria wants to know, is heaven mentioned in the Old Testament? Beverly, where were the descendants of Ishmael and are or who were they and are they alive today? And who are the kings of earth in Revelation 21? We will continue with the two Michaels, 877-548-3675. This is Chris Fabry live on Moody Radio. Thank you for joining us, friend. Come on in. We've got the two Michaels with us today. We've got open lines for you at 877-548-3675. You want to ask a Bible question, something burning in your heart and your soul? Just give that call a number, 877-548-3675. Okay, so we've got organ donation, heaven in the Old Testament, descendants of Ishmael, and kings of the earth in Revelation. Which one do you want to do first? Go fight, fight over it. I'll do organ donor. Okay, you got the organ. Okay. Okay. So the question is: Is this something that Christians should do? Right. A servant uh, the of answer God. Is, it says. Yeah. The answer is yes. Next question. <laughs> How's that? How's, that's, that's pretty good. That's this is a lightning I mean, round. Nothing, there we go. There's nothing, in, there's nothing in Scripture that says we should or shouldn't. And so it seems to me that if um, if we can. If we're healthy enough to actually be an organ donor, and I'm not, by the way, I've had glandular cancer, and so I can't. Uh, they don't. They don't want anything from me. They don't want blood. They don't want anything from me. And so, um, but I would say, if you're in good health and you can do it, you should. I just want to say that when they looked at me, they didn't care about my me- medical record. They said, "No one wants any part of you. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> we don't want anything to do with you." 
that. You know, but there are some people who are listening to us today. We had, uh, it was the anniversary. Phil and his old professor were with us years and years and years ago. And Phil heard that his professor's health was failing. He was getting dialysis. And Phil went back and he gave a kidney to his professor. Wow. And his professor lived several years. It was real healthy after that. Mm-hmm. So there are people who listen to us today who are alive because mm-hmm. somebody else did that for them. Yep. Yep. That's true. You know, okay. uh, I, I've heard people who donated kidneys uh, just for a friend. My, in fact, uh, my brother-in-law, who's now with the Lord, but he had a kidney donated to him by not his brother, but by his good friend from hmm. high school. Wow. So, mm-hmm. Okay. So there's organ donation. Uh, which one is next? Heaven in the Old Testament, descendants of Ishmael, or kings of the earth? Let's talk about the descendants of Ishmael. Okay. Okay, it is commonly stated that Ishmael is the father of the Arab peoples. Uh, I, I always tell people, can you show me where that is? Ask people, where is that in the Bible? And they cannot find it. And they start looking and looking. And they, well, I know it's in here someplace. And I always say it was in your Sunday school class that you learned that. But it's not uh, from the Bible. And in fact, uh, it says where Hagar and Ishmael went is just outside of Egypt uh, in the Sinai Peninsula. That's where they settled, that he would have 12 tribes. I'm sure that's true uh, that he did because God said he would. But <clears throat> the idea that Ishmael is the father of Arab peoples, where does this come from? From the Quran, that very trustworthy document that always tells the truth, right? So uh, the I'm being sarcastic. Uh, the the idea there was to provide a supersessionist replacement theology that the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were not uh, the Jewish people, but rather that God made promises to Abraham, Ishmael, and then through that the Arab peoples came, and of course from from them came Muhammad. So the idea is that it's not taught in Scripture, and so everyone that you're hearing that this conflict between Israel and the Palestinians, uh, that it goes all the way back to Ishmael and Sarah and Hagar and uh, and Abraham and all that, I, I can't see it from Scripture. There's an awful lot of memes out there, though. It's got to be true if it's on the Internet, right? Yeah, I know. Yeah, that's <laughs> it. Probably it's mentioned in Wikipedia. I don't know. <laughs> okay, uh, so if we're going to follow suit, then we got to go to Revelation 21... 24 to 27 says, uh, the nations will walk in its light and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Each day its gates will never close because they will never be, there will never be night there. They will bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. So the question from Sean is, what are the kings of the earth or who are they mentioned in, in those verses? Michael V., yeah, um, I don't really know. Mm-hmm. I'm, I mean, I really don't. I'm not sure why it is we. I, well, I know I understand why we have nations in in the eternal state. I think, contrary to popular Christian belief, I think there's still going to be ethnic and national distinctives in the et- eternal state. I think Israel is going to be uh, still at the center of. Um, the heavenly city, New Jerusalem, which comes down from heaven to earth. I think Israel is going to be in that spot and others are going to be outside of it and they, and we will go in and out of that. 
as far as the Kings are concerned, uh, my guess is, and Michael, you can correct us here. My guess is that uh, at the conclusion of the Millennial Kingdom, uh, those who are uh, kingly will uh, be able in their eternal state, in their resurrection bodies, go into the eternal state, will still enjoy some kind of special status as a result of having been uh, in the Millennial Kingdom in a position of leadership under Jesus. And mm -hmm. they will uh, go in and out of the city and basically praise and worship God in the process. Yep. And there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. It's a very material world. It's not all the resurrected people, you know, being disembodied spirits. It's actual resurrected people, not disembodied spirits. We're not sitting, you know, hanging onto a cloud, uh, plucking a harp. We're actual people, and it says there, his servants will serve him. If God will have servants, why will he not, and, and nations, why will he not choose to appoint and make people uh, kings over the different nations? It seems to me that these is referring to people who will have continued roles or past roles as leaders of the nations. If I want to sit out a cloud and pluck a harp, will I be able to? <laughs> no, no, no. I'm sorry. Uh, Why would you it's want an, to? It's a material know. world, you maybe, know. Maybe, maybe I'll <laughs> just wake up one. Now, that's the other question: Will we have sleep in heaven? Will there be a need or a desire? If we want to sleep, can we? You don't know that, do you? I think if I think if it requires for us to be happy in heaven, we have to have sleep. Then I think we'll have sleep. I mean, in the eternal state, then then God will make sure we yeah. have sleep. I don't think I we're just want to say that it. sleep is required for me now. That's what I would like to have now. <laughs> I, I, yeah. <laughs> you know, my wife, my wife, who who I think is listening, she she has commented to me that in in the eternal state, there's no longer going to be any C S E A. And she felt really sad because the three times she's had lobster in her life, she really, really <laughs> liked it. And if there's no sea, she won't have lobster. And I said, Susie, you know what? Uh, if for, for you to be happy in the eternal state, you got to have lobster. I think God can arrange that for you. So anyway, so, that's So that's I'm going to say something. When it says there is no sea, I, I don't think it literally means that there won't be any water bodies or seas. And how's that for radical? I think what it means is that the sea was a place of grave danger. When people went out to sea, right. there was always the danger of people uh, lose, you know, because when the Bible was written, uh, they didn't have navigational tools like the we, we have today. They didn't have a Coast Guard, things like that. And so it was far more dangerous to go to sea. And I think when it says there won't be any sea, it's, it's just saying there won't be the dangers that we feel at sea. So... So there may... But I'm going to buy hope. Susie a lobster, yeah. <laughs> okay? <laughs> Eat all you can before, before Soon, you go. you hear that? Just in case. Uh, I'm taking you out for lobster in a few weeks, okay? <laughs> oh, boy. Even uh, I and Mike, we're all going out, but I'm paying for your lobster, okay? <laughs> and I'm going to be on the cloud plugging a harp. Now, yep. uh, finally, Maria, is heaven mentioned in the Old Testament? Oh, is heaven mentioned in the Old Testament? Well, you know, I think, honestly, what we, we think of as heaven— I think what we've done is we've used the word for the heavens, which is that, you know, there's the third heaven. There's a, the first heaven is the sky. Uh, the second heaven is the atmosphere. And the third heaven is the presence of God. And as a result of that expression, we've taken a word that in the New Testament, it's, you know, we, we talk about going to be with Christ. Paul writes about that. It doesn't say he's going to heaven. He says he, 
he will go to be with Christ, which is far more, uh, that's what he really wants to do, to live as Christ, to die as gain. And it's beneficial for him to stay behind and minister to the Philippians in Philippians 1. But he says he would like to go be with Christ. In 2 Corinthians 5, 9, New Testament, it says, it doesn't say that we're going to heaven. It says absent from the body is present with the Lord. So in the Old Testament, although it doesn't use the word heaven in that sense, it does talk about being at God's right hand in Psalm 16:11. It talks about potentially, maybe this is a reference, I'm not sure, but in Psalm 23, it may, verse 6, may talk about dwelling in the house of the Lord. That may be a reference to heaven. I'm not utterly convinced of that. I think it may mean I re- I'll return to the temple. I'll return, not dwell. Uh, but uh, but then it says in Psalm 16, in your presence is fullness of joy. It talks about people being resurrected to everlasting life. Mm-hmm. In Daniel 12, the first couple verses, maybe three verses. Uh, in Isaiah 26, it talks about the resurrection in the Old Testament. So there's this anticipation of it. Uh, and one of my favorite verses that contemporary Old Testament scholars like to do away with annoy uh you know annoying me but they <laughs> they they like to do away with it because they don't want to see anything like this in the old testament but here's one of my favorite verses job nineteen twenty five through 27 but i know my living redeemer mm. and he will stand on the dust at last on the earth even after my skin has been destroyed yet i will see god in my flesh i will see him myself my eyes will look at him not as a stranger my heart longs within me. Do you know what that means? It means we're going to see God. I mm. think that's... Uh, so, hey, that's... So they uh, write that kind of thing just to make you mad. <laughs> yeah, that's why they're doing it. They yeah. they heard that I believe that and take it literally, and uh, they say, you know what, let's annoy Redelnik. I'm going to write this. I'm going to say why it's not talking about that. Okay, so you can annoy, annoy the two Michaels right now with your question, 877 Ah, no, no, we're not annoyed by questions. <laughs> <laughs> Not annoy. You can ask the question. 877-548-3675. We'll go to Sally in Michigan. Another heaven question. Hi, Sally. Go ahead. Oh, uh, hang on. Here. There she is. Um, I have yeah. a question. Always been told that, you know, dog won't go to heaven. Pets, animals don't go to heaven. And I've been looking in Romans 8, 18 to 22, and I cannot interpret it any different way than all creation would be in heaven because they're longing for that day, just like this children of God. And um, I'm just wondering if we're missing out on a blessing of knowing heaven at peace, that our, our, our pets, our loved ones would be in heaven. All right. There you have it. That's the question Romans, that we always get about heaven. Go ahead, Michael. Right. Romans 8, um, when it talks about how um, creation being set free from, um, from corruption um, when the children of God are manifested with Jesus in glory. And, uh, you, you know, really the idea is um, the curse is going to be lifted off of the planet. That's the sense. The anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly the, for the revealing of the sons of God. For creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. But, but that doesn't say anything about our pets being in heaven. 
in the millennial but they're kingdom. they're part of creation, Michael. It, it, yes. No, but now, let me just say a couple of things here. The curse is going to be lifted off the planet when Jesus comes back at the second coming. I wouldn't doubt at all that there are animals in the millennial kingdom that's on earth, and you're going to have people in natural bodies and people in resurrected bodies interacting just like Jesus interacted with, with the disciples following his resurrection. And it could very well be, and I think it will be likely that there will be animals present and pet people will have pets at that time. But I'm not convinced that that's the case in the eternal state. And there's no guarantee anywhere in scripture that animals have something like an eternal soul or something like that. So my pet cat Tipper and all four of my Bouviers and my Cocker Spaniel, who we all love, we loved all of them dearly. I have, I have personally no confidence that I will ever see them again because they don't Can have I, an eternal soul. I am in agreement with you, but I do want to say what Don Cole, who for many years hosted Open Line, what he would say. He would say, you know what? When you get to heaven, give a whistle, and maybe Rover will come running. You don't know. It's the same thing as a lobster. Come on. Yeah. 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 And, and I, well, let me. I, th I think there will be animals in the new creation because it's going to be a genuine creation. It just yeah. won't be a corrupted creation. But I don't think that there will necessarily be, necessarily be animals re uh, resurrected. You know, one of the okay, things. Hang on, we, we got to take a break. We need to take a break okay. here. Thank can you. Can I talk about Sally? Psalm seventy-three? We come back. Yeah, <laughs> when we come back, you can say anything you want. But right now, we got to okay. go. Sally, God bless you, friend. Thank you for listening today. This is Chris Fabry live on Moody Radio. More to come straight ahead. Two Michaels are with us today at the Radio Backyard Fence. This is Chris Fabry live. Oh, I've got such a great thank you this month for uh, anyone who gives a gift to the program. We're sending you a novel. It's not even out. It comes out next Tuesday. It's called Saving Grace, and it's something I've been working on for the last two or three years. It is... I, I, Rosie De Rose, I sent her a copy. She has read it. She said, this is wrecking me, and in a good way. It wrecked me writing it because how do you tell the story um, from a, a, the main character has Alzheimer's and he's struggling to solve the mystery of his life before his memory goes. But it is such a redemptive story and it's all about the grace and the mercy and love of loving someone who can't reciprocate, loving someone whose main question is, can God forgive the sins I can't remember? If you give a gift of any size, 866-95-FABRY will send you a copy of that new novel. comes out next Tuesday. Saving Grayson, 866-953-2279. Or go to chrisfabrylive.org. Scroll down. You'll see how you can uh, be a Backfence partner. You can see more about it right there, too. chrisfabrylive.org. I sent one to Eva and Michael, and they haven't had a chance to read it yet, but you're going to love it, right, Michael? Why. I'm going to tell you why. Tell me why. Be I know what it's about. And as much as I really long to read it, how do I put this? I'm afraid to read it because every time I read your books, they really grip my heart. And I don't like going there. I don't, I don't like the, 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 the tears and, the, and the, 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 the feelings that I feel. I, I'm reading books about baseball right now. That's Are what, you really? 
Guy Albert the Stam or who? Who are you reading? Uh, baseball 100 by uh, Joe Posnanski, and I'm reading okay. uh, another book Posnanski writ- written. I read Summer of 49 uh, by uh, Halberstam. Michael, that's not going to get people to, to, to send a gift in if you don't. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, you, I think it's such a good like book, to... I would. Uh, it's going to be such a good book, but you know, yeah. my my uh, my heart only has as much sorrow as it can take at this moment. Oh, with I see. What's going I on it. in Israel? I got know. it. I got it. Mike so. V, you're going to read it. Though. I'm going to send you a copy. You're going to read it, right? And, and, and we really, will. I'll read it too. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to reading all about all the robots and laser blasters in it and stuff. You <laughs> yeah. know, that's going to. I'm going to really write great. that in the back. Yeah, I'm going to put. Yeah. It, it's, yours is special. I put pictures. Oh, in. good. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> Okay. All right. So again, go to chrisfabrylive.org. You can see how you can receive a copy of that from my uh, my two biggest fans here, the two Michaels. Mm-hmm. You wanted to mention Psalm 73 before we yeah, get back to the Psalm Psalms. Psalm 73 is the Psalms theme is what happens or why do good things happen to bad people? You know, we always ask why do bad things happen to good people? This Psalm is asking the opposite question. Why do good things happen to bad people? And when he goes into the sanctuary, he understands their destiny, what their future holds, that they have slippery places, that they're going to fall, that it's not always going to be like this. And there's two times that the perspective he has is that on the one hand, uh, they could, you know, their future on earth may not be that great, but also even if their whole life, if everything is wonderful, they could be like the rich man in Luke 16, and one day they'll, they'll stand before God, and that's a slippery place to be after the, their life. But then he says... Uh, when he was embittered about their prosperity, he says, I was stupid and I didn't understand. I was an unthinking animal or I was a beast toward you. He was saying, when I was thinking about the here and now and not the forever, I was like a beast. Animals do not think about eternity. We do. That's what he's saying. And that's why he means when I was when I was embittered, I was like a beast before you. And I th- I thought about that because I once had a dog. We called him uh, Panda the Wonder Dog. He was the best best dog ever, and he was the most obedient, smart dog. We and he's good. Uh, we once had people dog sit him, and they I came back and they said he's the Messiah of all dogs <laughs> because he never sins. Uh, he was the best dog. But when we wanted him to go outside and he didn't want to. Uh, he wouldn't go because he knew that we would be might be leaving, and so he would just stay there. And then I would just take out a dog biscuit, and I'd open the door, and he had no sense of future, because what would happen is I'd toss that biscuit out on the deck, and he was out there in a flash, and then like, oh no, they're leaving. Oh, what happened? And, and you see, because he wasn't thinking about the next life, he was thinking about his next bite. You know what he was going to eat, and and uh, that to me says that I don't think animals have an eternal perspective, but we do, and we shouldn't expect them to be eternal beings. Yeah, I just got a text from Eva. I'm reading your book right now. It's powerful and needed. Plus, I like Yes Vember. <laughs> Thank you, Eva. Thank you. Which takes us to Naples, Florida, and Danielle is on the line. Hi, Danielle. Go right ahead. Hi there. Um, So I have kind of an odd question. Um, My husband met a new friend, and basically they were having a conversation, and he came back home and shared it with me, and I was kind of perplexed. And, you know, it's not what I subscribe to, but basically, um, you know, his friend had um, said that 
he believes in Jesus as the Messiah and the Son of God, but he does not believe in Jesus' deity. Now, I do as a believer, but, um, you know, is he saved? I, you know, I, I was really like wrestling with that because, you know, to me, it's, you know, one and the same, like Jesus is God. Right. He says it, you know, I know that, you know, many scriptures that say that, but, um, you know, can he be saved without that belief that Jesus as, as deity? Mike V, can I, can I start with this? Yes. Okay. Uh, in Romans ten nine and ten, it says, "If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the de- from the dead, you will be saved." Now, I know a lot of people think, and maybe even Mike V does, so that's why I want to jump in uh, before he gets a chance to give his opinion. No, I'm, but uh, I think where it says Jesus is Lord, it is referring to not just that He's Master of our lives, but that He is Deity. That's what it's talking about, that we have to believe that Jesus is God. And it's one thing if someone never had to make a choice, they didn't know about it, they didn't understand it, they, wasn't, they trusted in Jesus, but when they hear what the Bible teaches about his deity, they will affirm it. If someone will deny it, then they don't, in my opinion, know Jesus completely or fully, uh, that they're close but, but not there. Uh, in my opinion, that this this crucial verse indicates that it's not just that the Bible teaches that Jesus is God, but that we must believe it. Mike V. Agree 100%. Uh, I was going to go there actually also. Mm-hmm. And I would say, too, that if we have faith in Christ, it's faith in Christ who is uh, the divine Son of God, and he must be divine for, among other things, to be able to stand as a, the one who would uh, mediate between God and humankind. And also, when Jesus says in John chapter 2, um, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. He refers to his ability to resurrect himself. If he is uh, nothing but a mere man, let's say, as the Messiah, the son of David, and nothing more than that, then he would not be able to raise himself from the dead, and he did. And so uh, it seems to me that we cannot have a Savior unless he is divine and he has the capacity to uh, rise from the dead. Yeah. I, I, a little story. I used to lead a congregation of Jewish people. It was a Messianic congregation. We had a man in that congregation, Jewish guy, whose wife was Persian Muslim. And she always said that she had a very positive view of Jesus, uh, that she even believed he was the Messiah, but she didn't believe it, that he was God. She couldn't, she never would. Um, and then she decided one year she came to our resurrection service, Resurrection Day. It was part of our Passover week. And uh, she, uh, I was happened to be speaking on John 20, and I talked about doubting Thomas. I said, Thomas believed in Jesus, but he didn't believe he was resurrected. And so he wasn't doubting. He was unbelieving Thomas. And at near the end of the message, I said, don't be an unbeliever, but a believer. Those are the words of the Lord Jesus to Thomas. And Thomas responded with, my Lord and my God. And that's what I talked about at the end. Well, after the service, this dear woman came up to me tears streaming down her face and she said 
I'm ready, Michael. I'm ready. And we prayed together for her to receive mm. the Lord. But that was the issue for her. She had to believe that Jesus just wasn't a good man, just not just the the Redeemer, the 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 Messiah. She had to believe that he was God in the flesh. And when she did, then she was saved. Danielle, do you want to respond to that? Tell me what's rolling around your soul as you hear them. Yeah, no, I, I, in myself, I believe that, um, you know, I just, that's, I mean, my spirit was like, oh, when I heard what my husband was telling me about that. And I was like, oh, I just didn't, it didn't sit right. So I'm really glad that you shared those scriptures with me because I'm definitely going to, I'm going to bring those to my husband so that when they get together again, he can share those with him. Cause you know, my husband's very well versed in the Bible, but um, you know, having those particular verses, I think are like the ta- the Thomas one, I think is especially, you know, like kind of like, yeah, that's the one we need to share because, you know, sharing that my Lord and my God, like, you know, everybody who spoke of Jesus, you know, when Peter, you know, said, Hey, you know, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God, you know, when they're saying these things, they're witnessing to God, you know, Jesus's deity. So I think, yeah, yes. I, I'm in agreement for sure. <laughs> Thank well, you Danielle, so much for those. Yeah. Scriptures. Keep, keep talking with him and keep, and your husband too. And it could just be that, um, the knowledge is not there, you know, the, the heart is there, but the, the knowledge is not, of Scripture is not there. But there might be also, because I'm wondering about the, um, you know, the Trinity. Is, does he, would he deny the Trinity? And what does he think about that? And, you know, there are a lot of people who have problem with, <laughs> with the Trinity, too, and understand grasping that. So let me take our final break. We'll come back with the two Michaels, Dr. Michael Radelnik, Dr. Michael Van Lanningham. You can find out more about them. We have 50 most important Bible questions linked at the website. we got the Moody Bible Commentary, which I refer to just about every day. It's right here on my desk. Just go to chrisfabrylive.org. More straight ahead on Moody Radio. Sometimes we throw the term hero around a little too loosely, but there are unsung heroes around the country who are working and volunteering at pregnancy centers today. They are serving women and men who are facing unplanned pregnancies, and the enemy wants to kill, steal, and destroy. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly, and that's what CareNet is all about. They have a network of 1,200 pregnancy centers around the country that serve more than 300,000 women and men every year with free ultrasounds, free pregnancy tests, pregnancy decision coaching, options counseling, material support, parenting education, a whole lot more. They've saved more than since 2008. We went on the air in um, May of 2008. Since that time, they've saved more than a million babies' lives and they've shared the gospel with more than 2 million people in that time. So it's not just about the baby, but that's where the contact begins with those who are facing these decisions. See what they're doing. Go to chrisfabrylive.org, click the green CareNet button. Maybe there's a way for you to get involved. Click CareNet when you go to chrisfabrylive.org. Ruby is in Illinois. Ruby, why did you call the two Michaels today? Hi, Chris. Thank you for taking my call. I have always wanted to ask the two Michaels this question, so I'm so thrilled to get the opportunity. Um, 
there's a scripture, and I don't have the reference because I didn't know they were going to be on the program today, but it says that Jesus was made perfect by the things that he suffered. And I always wondered what exactly that meant because I thought he, I always thought he was perfect. You know, he was just born perfect, you know. And I guess I, I didn't know if that meant the beating and the crucifixion or if it was his childhood growing up or what that meant. Good question. Michaels, is that what you're talking about? Hebrews 5, verses, I think about 7 through 9. I'm turning there right now. Uh, it says there that uh, he was God's son. He uh, learned obedience through what he suffered. After he was perfected, he became the source of eternal salvation. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, he always, he was always obedient and he was always perfected, but obedience in the hard things... Uh, is confirming that he would, you know, it's one thing when I say to my kids, hey, I want you to go out to the, the ice cream truck and buy yourself some ice cream. They were so obedient, you know, when I said, hey, let's go out in the backyard and pick up the, the dog stuff, you know, <laughs> not so obedient, you know, a little resistant. And so the proof of Jesus, his perfection, was that he confirmed, he proved his perfection he confirmed his obedience through the things he suffered because he suffered. No man takes my life, he said, but I lay it down willingly. So that's, that's how he proved and confirmed his perfection. He had experiential obedience, even with the hard stuff. You know, my mom used to boast all the time that she never, ever had a traffic t- ticket. She never got a moving violation. But she never told anyone she didn't have a license and she never drove a car. And the the proof uh, of her perfection was not by her not driving, but by if she had driven, it would have been a different story if she had been perfectly obedient. Well, that's what Jesus did. He went through the toughest, most difficult situation, and he still obeyed his father. Anything to add to that, Michael? No, I, I mean, there's, there is another verse, you know, Hebrews 2.10. It was fitting for him for whom are all things and through whom are all things to bring, uh, in bringing many sons to glory, to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. And, um, and so maybe that's uh, what Ruby might have been thinking of as well. I think uh, Jesus reaches his perfect end, his perfect purpose, um, by providing salvation for us through his sufferings. Got it. Uh, before we leave here, I think Howard's up next in Akron, Ohio. Hi, Howard. Go ahead real quickly. Hello, Michael. Hey, thank you for taking my call. God bless you and all listening today. May the peace of the Lord be with everybody. Uh, my question was on the second coming of Christ. What can we expect the world to be like? Will we have society today? Will we talk? Can we call into to Christ on our cell phones and ask him questions? What kind of things will we be doing? Will we be building a new kingdom, laboring, or will we be living in like heaven on earth? You know, uh, in harmony with each other, just cultivating the world and loving each other and in, in Christ uh, as we should be. Uh, you know, just what are your thoughts on that? What will it be like on the earth on the second coming? How will we be living together? That's for you, Mike V. Yeah. Um, Following the second coming of Christ, there will be a thousand years on the earth. I believe that that's literal and physical. And 
the curse will be lifted off of creation. There's going to be great fertility and there will not be the kinds of natural disasters that we think of. There's going to be great longevity um, for, for those alive during that time in their natural bodies. I think it's going to be an absolute, perfect, indescribable utopia here. There are going to be people who will be born during the millennial kingdom. They will need to trust Christ as their savior, but even the ones who don't will sort of externally conform to his standards. And he might on occasion have to judge people and execute them. But then uh, after this comes the eternal state, I think it's going to be very much like the Garden of Eden was. Um, and Jesus will be there. As far as will we be able to call Jesus on the cell phone? Mm, don't know about that. Don't know about the nature of that kind of interaction with him. But I expect that we will have some and we will enjoy that and be blessed by that and by wonderful relations with each other as well. Michael? Yeah. Well, I would just say that there are questions that we have, like, will we have cell phones? Uh, there are a lot of questions I get about the end of days. And I, you know, about what, what it's like at the end of days, what the earth will be like. What You know, I get the questions like, uh, you know, it talks about the Battle of Armageddon and there's horses and swords. Well, what's going to happen with our, all our technology? And uh, I just always go back to 1 Corinthians 4, 6, which says, don't go beyond that which is written. And if God wanted us to know, he'd have told us. So I'm just going to say uh, it's obviously not an important issue or he would have told us. And so I'm just going to learn not to go beyond that which is written and trust him. But having the questions and, and wondering, I think is a good exercise and just pondering, what's it going to be like? And you're not saying don't think about that, it's, but we can't definitively answer it. That's what you're saying. Yeah. I think sometimes there's things that are written that we should pursue and wonder about, that it's better to do that than it is to you know, try and ponder and wonder about the things that we can't possibly know. Well, gentlemen, it's been an interesting hour and uh, a lot of calls. If you didn't get through today, come on back in December. I'm hoping you two will come back before Christmas and bring me a present. Will you do that? Yeah. Sure. I'll bring yep. you. I'll I, bring I've, got, I've got a lobster. present picked out for Good. you there. Yeah. <laughs> God bless you two. Thank you for being here. Go to chrisfabrylive.org. You'll see more about the two Michaels and some great resources there. Always remember Chris Fabry Live's production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.